Bridge to Wall Decks. Welcome back aboard Enterprise Incidents for our wrap-up of the third season and our wrap-up of the series itself on Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Vance. And I'm Steve Morris, and I cannot believe that we are here. Oh we have arrived God. at this place. <laughs> I cannot believe it. I feel so proud, but also so sad, because for, the, for, for 18 months, you and I did an episode-by-episode deep dive that that really made me and sort of a whole lot of other enterprisers see the original series in a whole new light. We made the original series fresh again. All these great comments that we've gotten from people who've left awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is your cue, if you have not yet done so, to please leave a review for Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve on Apple Podcasts. But I'm really proud, but also really sad because, man, time really flew by because we had fun. That's exactly right. It really, really did. And it's weird to go like, okay, we can put it on a shelf, put it in a box that that is now the original series on Enterprise Incidents. It is complete. And well, it will be complete with our next two episodes. And Scott, I have a story for you. Let's hear it. This is the story of the greatest disaster Enterprise Incidents never had. And this story I've withheld from you for nine months or a year for a while and there are probably only four humans on the planet that know that this happened oh my gosh here is what happened tell me do you remember when we went to walter koenig's house to record an episode with him yes of course and do you did you happen to notice and you probably didn't because there was no reason why you should that i was not wearing headphones like i'm wearing them right now I do remember that. I just thought, oh, you know, you know what you're doing. Well, it's all good. What happened was it had been, you know, it had been COVID and we had been recording remotely for so long and hadn't done a remote recording in a year yeah. that I just didn't have my bag packed the way you know, it used to be. That my bag was always packed with all the stuff. Well, I didn't bring the headphones. <laughs> and then I went, I was, you know, I was nervous. You were probably nervous too. This was a big deal. And I didn't, I didn't have headphones. I couldn't run home and get them. And I went, well, I've got my meters on my recording device. It's not going to be a problem. I put it in. I looked at all the levels. Levels all look good. We had that great conversation. I went home, copied over the files, and I saw two audio files not three audio files. Oh, no. Because I had not turned on Walter Koenig's mic. What? I had not turned on Walter Koenig's mic, which had I had headphones on, I would have immediately heard. But I was also using a new recording device, and I could hear very faintly in the background of your microphone his voice. I have never messed up so badly, I think, in my entire life. It was our most important guest up to that point. Yeah, yeah. It was a great conversation. Yes. I sat where I'm sitting right now in this chair, swearing. I think I hit myself in the head a couple of times. I was so upset. And then I called up a good friend of mine who is an Emmy Award winning sound guy who works at a little place called Skywalker Sound. Oh, oh my God. First of all, I, I, I am... So glad I did not know this story up until now, but continue, please. <laughs> so I called up my friend, John Grieber, and I said, listen, I have screwed up more royally than I ever have in my life. Can you save me? He said, send me the files. Let me see what I can do. Four hours later, I had Walter Koenig's voice. You might listen. It doesn't sound as good as our voices sound, but Skywalker Sound came in and saved Enterprise Incidents interview with Chekhov. I am blown away and i remember because i usually go back and i listen to our deep dives after you post them on sunday mornings 
And I remember when I listened to that was Game Service of Triskelion yep. that, yes, I remember his audio sounded different, but I thought it was because, because if you remember when we were sitting there, he kept putting his mic down. Yep. And I just thought, oh, he probably held the microphone too far from his from his mouth. It, ended that's up, why it didn't it matter good. that he held it, put it down or anything. That mic was not turned on. Oh, my gosh. So so how did your friend from Skywalker Sound save Enterprise Incidents? Well, I don't know if you remember when I bought a, this new recording device, it records in something called 32-bit float, which is something that, you know, we don't have to really worry about. But technically what it does has a much bigger dynamic range. So it doesn't blow out with loud stuff. And it actually picks up quiet stuff. If I hadn't been using that device, if I had been using the one that I'm actually recording on right now, we would have lo- there would have been no Walter Koenig. But because I had been using that device, John was able to bring up the level of all the Walter Koenig stuff and filter out all of your stuff with tech- great technology that we have today. I mean, it's literally Skywalker Sound. It was like the greatest sound house in the world worked a little bit on Enterprise Incidents to save my ass. So much to say about this. First of all, the fact that Skywalker Sound worked on Enterprise Incidents is pretty cool. It is. Second... Uh, I now want to go back and listen, re-listen to our deep dive on Game Switcher Triskelion, just because, I mean, look, I remember it being a great conversation with Walter, and I we really had a great time with that, with that conversation, but uh, I am blown away that, that that happened, that you were able to save it, and, and that you never told me. <laughs> well, I was so embarrassed. I mean, frankly, I was so embarrassed when it happened. And then I was just like, well, I'll, I'll tell them at some point when it's when it's and then I finally decided I was going to tell you today. But you know what? There there have been a couple times over the over the last 18 months where I thought like, wow, we never dropped the ball at all. Like like he <laughs> like I always thought like like, you know, maybe one of our conversations with Ralph Sinensky, like what if like we didn't record his audio or something something like that where we uh, we had a good guest and and like it didn't work out or or when i sent you the file from the Shatner interview right that like something went wrong and like you know like i was afraid that my my computer would crash and i would lose that forever right. and you know like and i just which happens i mean which those happens things happen at, these things happen so so the fact is it actually did happen you saved the day John and, John Grieber at Skywalker Sound saved the day. But you figured out who to call to know him. Yeah, you you knew the right person to save the day. So Skywalker Sound save our Star Trek deep dive on Enterprise. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is an awesome story. <laughs> Bravo! I cannot wait to go back and listen to Gangsters of Triskelion. Steve, thank you for not telling me until now. <laughs> you're you're welcome. I'm glad. I, I was a little worried you were going to be upset that I didn't let you in on it, but I'm I'm glad I told you now. How do you feel now that you told me? You feel relieved? I do. I do. I mean, it, I mean, it literally. I cannot begin to tell you how upset I was that day. It oh. was like, and and you know, I don't. I'm I'm not a touchy feely guy. I don't really share my feelings with a lot of people. So I think I told three people. I mean, John and like. Karen and a couple of other people. Oh maybe. my gosh. Oh my gosh. What did they say? You got to tell them. And then you're like, no, I got to fix this. Like, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to tell you. Well, I mean, it was very possible that I was going to have to call you up and say, Scott, I blew it. If, if John couldn't have saved it, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, we just would have been screwed. You tell John that Scott Nance is eternally grateful for saving without without you know doubt. You've seen his work. Episodes. You've probably seen some of his work because he did the Bee Gees documentary. He did the Paul McCartney. One, uh, two, three. One, two, three. <gasps> he did, uh, what was the most recent one he did? 
He's a he's a fantastic sound guy. Wait, so so a a sound guy who worked in a Paul McCartney documentary mm-hmm. at Skywalker Sound saved Enterprise incidents. That's correct. I think that's really, really cool. We were two degrees of separation from Paul McCartney. You're right. That's that right. That's awesome. Yeah. This is already the greatest episode of Enterprise <laughs> Incidents, these, these revelations. Well, we are at the point of Enterprise Incidents. Where it is time for our wrap-up of the third season and, in a sense, our wrap-up of the series itself. Before we get into all of the emotions and thoughts surrounding our wrap-up of the original series, some very important dates to note. So, Steve, when we were talking about Turnabout Intruder, you know, and we were, we were going through day by day what was filmed. We were going by, and we got to that point where Shatner was told that this is the last episode we're filming of the season and that he was not going to direct his first episode, which was called The Joy Machine. Now, when Turnabout Intruder wrapped and they had their wrap party, they still didn't get the official word that Star Trek was canceled. They just knew that their 26-episode order got shortened to 24, and that just wasn't a good sign. Okay, that did not bode well for a fourth season. So when did Star Trek actually get canceled? When did that moment come Hmm. when it was like, you are officially canceled? Well, guess what? It never officially came. There was no, there was never a word from Paramount or NBC that told Fred Freiberger or Roddenberry or the cast, guys, you are officially done. The closest a, an official announcement came to the, to the actual end of the series, the closest that actually came was on March 24th, 1969, in the pages of Broadcasting Magazine, when Paramount made it official that Star Trek was now available for syndication. So with that announcement, it was like, I guess that's really it. But that was the closest. Like wow. it, there was never like a, you know, it, it just the schedule for the sixty nine seventy came out and Star Trek wasn't on it. But this was the closest that that anyone ever came to saying Star Trek is finished. So of course we know that on June third, nineteen sixty nine, which was a Tuesday at seven thirty, Turnabout Intruder aired. Right. The last first run episode <clears throat> of Star Trek. Uh, it was a month and a half later that Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Wow. So here, just try just putting it into context because, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this, Steve, since, since we wrapped Turnabout Intruder and our look at the series, that everything about the original Star Trek is history. Everything about it. When it was done, how it was done, it was the first show. All the, all of, look, all of your weekly uh, historical uh, points of what happened the week they were filming these episodes. Like, this was friggin' history. Yeah. And here was a show that inspired people to become astrophysicists, scientists, doctors, astronauts. And this last first-run episode of Star Trek on June 3rd, Star Trek goes out with a whimper, and then a month and a half later, Apollo 11 landed on the moon. Yeah. It's really just staggering that the show that inspired so many that, that had peaked a year earlier and was now over with the lowest ratings it had had, and now, like, Apollo 11. Like, it's, like, it's just really incredible. Now, now, Turnabout Intruder was the last first-run episode of Star Trek to air. 
but the last time Star Trek ever aired on NBC, which actually makes it the last time Star Trek ever aired on a broadcast network, was actually September 2nd, 1969. That's when Requiem Methuselah had its repeat airing. Wow. And that was the very, very last time that Star Trek ever aired on a network on a network because like when Next Generation came around in eighty seven and DS9 came out in ninety three, those were all they they all premiered in syndication. Right. So they were not on a network. And of course, all the new Trek shows were streaming. All streaming. Yeah. So so I think it's interesting. Everybody knows about Turnabout Intruder on June third, but not a lot of people know that actually it was Requiem for Methuselah. I don't know which one's more of a bummer. I actually think, believe it or not, I think Turnabout Intruder is a better episode than Requiem for Methuselah. Absolutely it is. That's not saying that much. It, it, it's a far more entertaining episode, yeah. for sure. And certainly Shatner is a performance is much more committed in uh, Turnabout Intruder than it is in Requiem for Methuselah, where we commented, like, you know, he's kind of just going through the motions in that one. But here's another interesting date. Okay, so June 3rd, 69, Turnabout Intruder airs, the last Mm -hmm. first-run episode of Star Trek. A week before, on May 27th, 1969, there was something else about the original Star Trek that effectively died. That is Jeffrey Hunter. Right. who played Captain Christopher Pike in The Cage, which didn't quite sell the show, but it kept the interest going for them to do a second pilot. Jeffrey Hunter died on May 27, 1969. On uh, the afternoon of May 26, Hunter suffered an intracranial hemorrhage while walking down the steps at his home in Van Nuys, California. He fell, he struck his head on the banister, and he fractured his skull. He was found unconscious by a friend and taken to Valley Presbyterian Hospital, where he underwent brain surgery. He died the next morning at about 9.30 a.m. at the age of only 42. Now, let me ask you this. What if Jeffrey Hunter had actually stayed on as captain of the Enterprise for the original series? Would he have died? Well, what I know about his history after Star Trek, it sounds like he was a pretty depressed guy who Drank a lot. and Drank a lot. Yeah, so maybe it would have given him some purpose that might have helped. I don't know. See, the way I look at it, so by, by May of 69, Star Trek had already finished filming because right. they finished filming Turnabout Intruder in the beginning of January. Right. But if Jeffrey Hunter had been committed to three seasons of Star Trek, maybe he wouldn't have been living in Van Nuys, California. Maybe he would have been living somewhere else or just at another location where he did not fall down that flight of stairs right. and hit his head and die. Yeah. So it's just, you know, just sort of like a really kind of weird, like, what if scenario that extends beyond just what if Jeffrey Hunter had actually stayed on to do Star Trek. It's sort of a depressing scenario you've given me because you've now given me the choice of the death of this, you know, keeping this guy alive, who's a good actor, yeah. versus having my Star Trek. That's, yeah. that's a rough choice that you're making, forcing yeah. me to make there. For, for sure. And so, of course, so uh, a week or so after Star Trek's last first run episode, the Emmy Awards were announced. Mm-hmm. Now, the prior month on May 5th, 1969, the Emmy nominations were announced. And once again, Star Trek was nominated for four Emmys. Outstanding Art Direction and Scenic Design for All Our Yesterdays. Outstanding Supporting Actor 
drama, Leonard Nimoy, for the third year in a row, right. Leonard Nimoy was nominated for supporting actor, which is weird as a supporting actor. He's totally a lead. And then also, outstanding achievement in film editing, Donald R. Road for Assignment Earth. And then the fourth nomination was for outstanding photographic effects for The Tholian Web. Hmm. What's missing here from these nominations? Shatner? Outstanding drama series. Oh, okay. Because for the first time in three years, Star Trek was not nominated for outstanding drama series. It was nominated for season one, nominated for season two. Both of those seasons, we all agree, are great. The third season is not good, great. not great. But the fact that the quality dropped, obviously that was notable to voting members of the Television Academy because it was not nominated. Yeah. So here's the interesting. So Outstanding Art Direction, All Our Yesterdays, lost to Mission Impossible, which won that award for the third year in a row. It's a great show. and Great show. Yeah. Totally. Outstanding Supporting Actor, uh, Leonard Nimoy, lost for the third year in a row. This time, he lost to Warner uh, Klemperer. For Hogan's Heroes? For Hogan's Heroes. I mean, he's yeah. really good in Hogan's I mean... But, 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 but come on. <laughs> but by the way, it's interesting just because I know a little bit about him because he's also in Judgment at Nuremberg, which we did on the Cinephiles. Yeah. Is that he is the child of a, I think it was maybe the conductor of the LA Symphony, who was a Jewish immigrant from Germany who fled the Nazis. Wow. And this guy had a career, a Jewish guy whose father fled the Nazis, had a career playing Nazis. Playing that. Wow. Yeah. And he won an Emmy for it. Yeah. Which isn't unusual. There were a lot of Jewish guys playing Nazis, you know. Crazy. Uh, and so outstanding achievement in film editing, Assignment Earth, lost to uh, the show Judd for the Defense. Okay. So, and I mentioned this before, to, to set the record straight, outstanding photographic effects was shared by Van Devere Photo Effects, Howard Anderson Company, the Westheimer Company, and Cinema Research, four companies that did the visual effects on the Tholian web. So for decades... It had been reported that the original series never won an Emmy. In fact, it did. The Tholian Web won the Emmy for Outstanding Photo Effects. The reason why it has generally not been sort of acknowledged or accepted that it did win is because the winner was not announced on the actual Emmy Awards right. on June 8th. That ceremony took place a week and a half earlier. It was not televised. So therefore, it was not recorded as the win. But the Tholian Web is the very first Emmy that Star Trek ever won. Wow. Well, and deservedly so. I mean, you and I have both said that that episode has, that the old special effects totally hold up. They hold up, and I will be sure when I rewatch the Tholian Web, I always watch the original version with the original effects because I think they are still better then no, no, no disrespect attended to the remastered effects, which I love, but the original effects in that one are right. far superior. So other interesting is so, uh, the ratings. Now, the ratings, the percentage share that Star Trek had, even in its worst day, was mm -hmm. miles and miles better than the percentage share the television shows get today because there's just so much competition, right. so many networks and cable networks and streaming. So the Nielsen rating for season one was a 30.7% share. Wow. The Nielsen rating for season two went down to 27.3%. The first half of season three, it went up a little bit, 
to 28%. But the second half of season three, the series that the part that mm-hmm. ran in 1969, that dropped to a 25.9% share. So it did go down. And here's the other thing that I never knew this. Okay. After Star Trek was finished, Paramount offered to sell its stake in Star Trek to Gene Roddenberry for $150,000. Wow. And he passed. Thank God he passed. Why? Because we'd have no Wrath of Khan. We'd We'd have nothing that we have today if Gene Roddenberry had owned it. Wow, I never thought of that. I thought like for first of all, he didn't have the money because one hundred fifty thousand and sixty nine was like a million dollars, and he was going it, through. It's a, still a lot of money. It's still a lot. Of I would I would totally buy Star Trek today for hundred. You and I would do it together, yeah. right? For sure. But uh, but he a he didn't have the money, and at the time when he did pass on it, he said, and I quote. At the time of the series cancellation, any entertainment figure who predicted that there could ever be Star Trek profits would have been immediately incarcerated in the nearest asylum yeah. for the severely insane. It was that bad. Yeah. Yep. Um, shall we? Shall we start our recap? Let's do it, Scott. Let me ask you this question: What is your overall reaction to season three of Star Trek? My reaction to season three is this. While clearly it was not nearly as good as the first two seasons, I always liked season three because I always felt like I'll take a season that gives us episodes like Spectre of the Gun and All Our Yesterdays and Tholian Web and Is There in Truth No Beauty over no season at all. But I actually, after doing this journey with you, I have grown to love season three a whole lot more. And the reason for that is by going in production order, we saw that with the exception of two episodes and The Children Shall Lead and Spock's Brain, the first half of season three was actually really, really good. The turning point came with Plato's Stepchildren. After Plato's Stepchildren, the percentage of good episodes, the bad bad episodes outweighed the good. But even the not-so-great ones, I grew to love more, like The Savage Curtain. I I definitely like that episode a whole lot more. But I absolutely feel like season three is is really, really good. Not great like seasons one and two, but it's still really, really good. For me, I would say that the good got better and the bad got worse. And the reason is is because of how we looked at the show. I had I had probably seen some of those not so good season three episodes, you know, in the last five or ten years. Watched them once or twice, but I didn't pay any attention. So when I'm focused in detail on every single thing that's happening, an episode like Whom Gods Destroy or Weckroom from Methuselah or you know Mark Gideon, Mark all the Gideon, yeah, they just became intolerably painful yeah, to me. Yeah, like it it it, it was uh, and literally Plato's, Plato's stepchildren is torturous. So those episodes got where I just kind of went, ah, whatever, before. Now I sort of actively hate them. And so that was a big trend. But as you said, I was really impressed with how many genuinely good episodes there are in season three. I don't think, I, I don't really think any of them quite make the heights of the best episodes of season one I and two. Agree with that. But they're genuinely good episodes of Star Trek. And, and I did enjoy them. And some of them did like you said, got better with our rewatch. You know what was telling 
like the episodes you mentioned, Whom Gods Destroy, Weckoning from Methuselah, Mark of Gideon. You know what was telling about those episodes that actually also, for me, went down in my book? The fact that our conversation, like when we were recording the actual conversation like we're doing right, right. now, like I remember we were just like, man, this is hard to go scene by scene on, on an episode that's just not very good. No, I was bored with myself. I was boring myself <laughs> as I'm trying to talk through what was happening in the episode. But that is the magic of, uh, of editing because <laughs> you, know, you make I those cut, episodes sound pretty good. I cut a lot of stuff out. <laughs> um, well, uh, let, me ask, let me ask you this. So we okay. always talk about uh, how Star Trek evolved in season one and how it evolved in season two. How did it evolve in season three? Or the question is, did it even evolve in season three? I think we saw it devolve mostly. I don't think it evolved. I, I, I don't think there, there are a couple of small things in season, season three that you can kind of go, maybe that's a little step forward. But I think mostly there were times in episodes where we would say, it's like the people who were making this had never watched Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Like they would lose track of characters like, you know, Spock in um, That Which Survives is like, well, he's not behaving the right way. Kirk in Requiem for Methuselah, you know, all of them in Requiem for Methuselah. Right. It's like they, they, there was just, they kind of lost the thread of what made that show work, I think. I, I agree. For, I absolutely think the show disintegrated in season three. And there are a lot of reasons for that, starting with the fact that like, look at all these creative forces who made Star Trek so great. They were all gone by the beginning of season three, or they left shortly after season three got into production. Of course, Roddenberry stepped away. Gene Kuhn, even though he submitted some scripts, he was not there as a day-to-day -day producer. Robert H. Justman left. Uh, Dorothy Fontana, she's, you know, she had one foot out the door after she was done with the Enterprise incident. And then, of course, you know, we've sung the praises of this genius so many times. Jerry Finnerman, when he stepped away, Al Francis stepped in and a lot of his lighting just kind of looked more bland and washed out. Although, you know, he did really good work in all in our yesterdays, I have to say. But you had all these creative forces that left. You also had, again, the budget went down, but the salaries kind of went up a little bit. So we give less money to actually produce a groundbreaking science fiction series where some of, the, some of these episodes just felt like radio plays. But at the same time, I feel like Fred Freiberger did the best he could. You know, we're lucky we got a third season and, and some of these great episodes. But in one way, the show did evolve, or two ways, actually. One was the further, the, the deepening of the friendship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Mm-hmm. That definitely evolved. And when you look at where, where that relationship really started, and I would say that that relationship really got solidified in The Enemy Within, mm. in that mm -hmm. scene in the sick bay yeah. where Spock says to Kirk, if, if I seem insensitive to what you're going through, it's the way I am. Like that scene between the three of them is great. So when you look at where, where Star Trek went in the third season in episodes like The Empath and just the, uh, uh, the way that... You know, Kirk really put everything on the line to save Spock and McCoy when they were in the past. And the way that Spock and McCoy went at it, it was a culmination of so many things. So I really think that that their friendship did deepen. And as Judy Burns pointed out, they were they were not the same people. They ended up uh, as they were when they started. But one other way, and we also did point this out, but for the purpose of this conversation, Fred Freiberger did push for stronger female characters in season three. The Romulan commander in uh, Enterprise mm -hmm. Incident. 
the Tira of Yanada mm-hmm. in For the World is Hollow. Kang, uh, Mara, Kang's wife in yep. uh, Day of the Dove. Miranda and Vana, Vana, the Troglite leader yep. in, in uh, uh, Cloudminders. Yep. Um, I think, and, and you know much more about this than me, but it sounds like Fred Freiberger got a really bad rap. It does. You yeah. know, yeah. And, and having spoken to some people who knew him, they mostly said nice things about him. Right. Um, certainly, obviously, what happened with Ralph and Tholian Webb and things like that, that sounds really, really bad. But I also go, you get brought onto a show where the budgets are dwindling. You have two lead actors that are very, very opinionated. And you're trying to keep the ship going forward. And yeah, they have a lot of missteps. But it's a really, really hard job. You know, and so I, I think... The I you know Paramount was killing Star Trek. They wanted it to die. It wasn't that Fred Freiberger killed Star Trek. That's right. not what happened. Right. That's actually true. You That's know. absolutely true. And and that was the other thing. In addition to all the people I mentioned that Star Trek lost, you also lost Ralph Sinetsky as a as a regular right. director of the series. And by that point, Mark Daniels was finished. Joseph Pevney was finished. Yep. I think Vincent McAvity was also kind of done. So, so all these great directors who were who were around since the first season were all gone, and then that just what happened to to Ralph Sinetsky, um, you know, that they wanted like these fireman directors to come in and shoot the episodes on time and on budget, and, and yet still the episodes still went over budget and over schedule. So, you know, that was uh, that 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 apparently, according to what people were saying, came from a Douglas Kramer, uh, who who Fred Freiberger had to answer to. Well, and my guess, too, by the way, a semi-present Gene Roddenberry, I mean, a fully present Gene Roddenberry can be a mixed bag. I think a <laughs> semi-present Gene Roddenberry can definitely be a mixed bag because you're getting one set. Of, I mean, I, I've i gotten notes. Getting notes is a really, really weird thing, particularly when you get notes from three or four different places that don't talk to each other. Oh, yeah. So you're getting notes from Shatner and Nimoy saying my character wouldn't do this. You're getting notes from the studio saying, you know, which obviously are budgetary and schedule wise, but also what we want on the show. And then I'm sure Gene Roddenberry's thrown in his notes, too. And Fred Freiberger is the guy who's got to make all this work and keep these people happy Mm -hmm. and keep the cameras rolling. Absolutely. It's a tough job. It is a tough job. Um. Then and there's also just as they got near the end, they all knew the show was ending. Yeah, that's yeah, not the morale fun. went down. Yeah. You know, they they just that's that's got to be really really tough. But I think it was George Takei who who said that you know even though the morale was down, we really still did the best we could. You know, he said he felt proud to go into work every day because he knew that we were really you know knocking it out of the park with our uh, park with our performances and our commitment to doing the best possible job that they could and also Freiberger and other people had said that that Shatner William Shatner was like a major cheerleader to keep the show right. going and he became he became very much at the forefront of of keeping the show on track to at least try to match what the first two seasons did right all right, I have a question for you. Yes. Who is your most surprising character from season three? See, that's an interesting, that's a really interesting question. I really had to give that thought. Like, what character surprised me the most in season three? And and it hit me that that character was McCoy. Oh, interesting. The reason for that, and it took the second to the last episode for me to have that realization, was the way that McCoy kind of saved the day. Like he was the one who ultimately, after all this time with with Spock being the one to come up with the answers 
and McCoy being wrong to the point where he had to apologize to Spock a couple times. Mm -hmm. He was the one who said, what's happening to you? You are reverting back to your ancestors. And when Spock goes to strangle him and he says in a really calm voice, are you trying to to kill me, Spock? Uh, I mean, and he says, I want to go back to that life. Also, also McCoy's, uh, storyline and for the world is hollow and yeah. i've touched the sky uh his his uh his his prominent role in, in at the empath which is an episode that i like a lot more we'll talk more about that what about what about you who surprised you the most Chekhov, and and the reason is is it's like uh, if you could see them trying to grow that character in a way they weren't really trying to grow many of the other smaller characters mm. you know and particularly with specter of the gun and with Way to Eden, not that I think it's a great episode, but they went, oh, we can get some mileage out of this guy. And then the big one is in Day of the Dove, where Chekhov becomes genuinely, oh. genuinely scary. Yeah. I was afraid of Chekhov when I was a kid. Yeah. I was afraid of him for a while after I saw just Day of the di- Dove. Just didn't trust the Russians. <laughs> I love that, too. I mean, it <laughs> was the Cold 70s. War. Yeah, it was the Cold War. After the character who surprised us the most, who do you think was the most underutilized this character is so underutilized that I didn't even think of them for the underutilized category at first. That's how underutilized they are. And that is Christine Chapel. Okay, fair. Because it's she's like in episodes, but it's so often where it's like she just kind of wanders through. Mm-hmm. And I and there, and there's some ones where it's like, "Wow, did you did you really even need her? Like why like why pay her other than maybe she's hanging out with Roddenberry a lot?" Yeah. But it just seemed they're just like I wanted them to develop her more. I was like, "You know what? We could have gotten more out of this." And there are episodes when we see about her relationship with Spock and some of that stuff in season 1 and season 2 that really really works. And I'm like, "Oh, I could have seen a little more of that." That that absolutely as a character who could have evolved, who could have, uh, you know, been utilized to a much, much greater effect. Because when you look at the way she was established in like the naked time with her, with her love for Spock. And of course the whole storyline with what a little girl's made of. And then, you know, the backstory with her and Spock in a mock time, yep. I completely agree. Chapel never really got her due. Yep. But see, my answer to this is a character who was getting his due quite a lot in the first season and in the beginning of the second season until he made what was, in hindsight, a mistake to leave for 10 episodes, and that is George Takei Sulu. Yeah. Because there is a big difference between the way the character of Sulu was utilized in the first season and a half of Star Trek and the way he was underutilized when he came back at the end of season two and throughout season three. Now, yep. he had a he had a good episode or a good moment for his character in That Which Survives. And I do love that bit on the bridge with him and Chekhov and Turnabout mm-hmm. Intruder. But overall, I feel like Sulu was very underutilized yep. in the third season. All right. This one, this one got tough. And I and I have I kind of narrowed it down to three answers, but I'm curious about your favorite guest in season three of Star Trek. My favorite number one guest, without question, is Michael and Sarah as Commander Kang. Because not only did I think he was the best actor to portray a Klingon on the original series, but I felt like his portrayal of Kang was so fully defined and so full of energy and perspective and uh, uh, commitment that 
the producers of The Next Generation, particularly Ronald D. Moore, must have picked up on Kang and used Kang as a launching point to further establish the entire Klingon empire in The Next Generation and beyond. But I just love his performance. He's just, you know, larger than life. And he's also larger than Shatner (laughs) physically, which made him like a character who I really thought, you know, could give Kirk a run for his money. What about you? He's great, and he's one of the three okay. that I put down. The other, one, I love the Ronan Commander. I think she's great. I I think she's a fascinating character, and I love watching her go toe to toe with Spock. But I'll actually say, just as a guest actor, a performer on the show, I love Beale. Man, I I just love watching every single every way that he twists his words in his mouth. I love. I had both of those actors on my list. Joanne Linville, the Romulan commander. She just gave a fantastic performance. Uh, and uh, same with Frank Gorshin as Beale. I had him on my list as well. Uh, the way that he chewed the scenery in that episode was fantastic. Uh, and, and just uh, that whole scene on the bridge between... Beale and Lokai, and then Kirk th- steps in to threaten to destroy the Enterprise. Is great. One more, one more guest star who I really loved is Marriott Hartley for yeah. All Our Yesterdays. Uh, it was uh, a really, really good performance, and the way, the way when Spock and McCoy go back through the portal, and she walks away and turns around to give Spock one last look, and the camera holds on her with the wind blowing and the tear coming down her face, yeah. like you pointed out, it's so heartbreaking. She makes the list. Yeah, absolutely. Would you would you want to see any of these characters again? And if so, how? Well, we've already seen Kang again. That's right. He in comes Deep back. Space Nine. So we got our wish with that. Of course, he looked like the way the Klingons looked in you know, Deep Space Nine right. and, and after Star Trek, the motion picture. I wish we could have seen the Romulan commander again. Yeah. Can you imagine like a season four episode where, like, awkward moment, Spock comes face-to-face with the Romulan commander again, and we actually learn her name. It's funny to me that we have two Romulan commanders whose name we don't know. Right. They're just known as the Romulan commander. They're just the Romulan commander. So I I was thinking it would be so cool because she's in Federation custody in some, some way because I think she's a match for Kirk. I think she is a great commander, is that I wanted her to steal a starship. And escape and to have the Enterprise signed to chase her down and then, of course, have exactly what you described with her and Spock coming face to face. That you know? would have been awesome. Yeah. Like like uh, she steals a starship yeah. or, or, and, and the Enterprise has to, hunt her, has to chase her down. And with, and with Kang, I want, the, I want the balance of terror between Kirk and Kang. Mm-hmm. I want them battling in two starships. I you think that would be fantastic. The, just, just the way that, I mean, look. John Kyle core, I mean, look, he set the standard. I mean, he was the first Klingon, at least as a full character. I mean, he's great, but Michael Ansara really took it to another level. Yeah. He certainly was better than, as much as I love uh, William Campbell as Trelane, you know, Kawa from right. Trouble Tribbles was not threatening. No. Like, I thought that Kang was a threat. That was a, that was a guy who I would look at and go, yeah, the Klingons are badass, yeah. for sure. All right, so here's a question. I don't know if this uh, this is a, a, a something we can really answer. Although I do have some some interesting answers. In the third season of Star Trek, who would you vote for as the cutest couple? It's funny. There there are a bunch of relationships, 
And I would say, for me, one of the most moving ones, and I will give them my honorable mention, is McCoy and Natira. I, I, I really see that connection. I love the way they speak to each other. I love how McCoy is comfortable exposing himself, and she embraces that. I like that a lot. But I, I got to go with Kirk and Miramani. Mm-hmm. I mean, that they because they genuinely are a couple. And they were for six months. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for an episode that plays out over 50 minutes... The commitment that that they gave uh, Kirok and Miramani made you really believe that they were like Kirk and Edith in City on the Edge. Uh, and I, I too, had McCoy and Natira on my list. Uh, I also have Spock and Zarabeth. I knew that you would. Yes. I also have Chekhov and Sylvia from Spectre of the Gun. Because mm-hmm. up until the point that he sticks up for her and gets shot... They were kind of cute. Yeah, together. they are cute. Yeah, uh, Kang and Mara from Day of the sure. Dove. All right, sure. But cutest couple. I'm going to go with a couple that really captured what it meant to be a couple and really have to put up with each other over the course of fifty thousand years. Beal and Lokai. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that a talk about a dysfunctional relationship. There you go. <laughs> wow. Um, it's funny we we kind of talked about this a little bit in in our favorite guests, but uh, who are your favorite villains or antagonists? Yeah, I definitely. I mean, Kang. I'm sure is one of Kang yeah. is. See, the thing about what makes Kang my favorite villain is that he is more of an antagonist than an actual you know right. quote unquote villain because. I liked Kang, I respected Kang, but I was also kind of afraid of him and, and believed him to be a real threat. And I, I don't think that, that what he was doing, even though he wanted to take over the Enterprise and take the Enterprise back to Klingon and uh, uh, you know space and everything, but I, I respected him. I really respected him a lot, which is why... Uh, that makes him my favorite antagonist because he is an antagonist, but one who who's on I, I like as much as Kirk, but for different reasons. My I, I definitely I like Kang and of course Beal and Romulan Commander are great ones. But I the one I want to bring up is definitely and not a villain at all, but an antagonist. And I think this character is among the most nuanced and complex in all of Star Trek, and that is Miranda Jones. Because she is so, there's so many things going on. She's not a bad person in any way. She's ambitious. She's jealous. She's insecure. She's incredibly strong-willed. She's difficult. And she has to struggle with all that stuff throughout the episode and finally kind of come to terms with who she is. I think she's a fantastic antagonist. That's a great, great pick because she, she, it, it takes, it takes, the words of Kirk for her to look inward in herself and realize that she's she's the antagonist. Yeah. That's a great point. So, okay. When it comes to, you know, we we talked about in the first two seasons, like what were the standout moments for each one of the main characters? Yes. So when it comes to season three, like was it how was it for you to pick out the best moments for these characters? And did you think it was harder to choose? Yes. Yeah, I did. It was harder. It was I definitely did. harder. Um, 
so the, for the first one for for Chekhov, there is definitely stand up out moment for me, but it is not a nice moment, and that's Day of the Dove. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is really where wow, he is scary. The moment is extremely disturbing. Um, that it's it's it really he shines as an actor, although not as a character. Right, he's definitely, uh, and I and I said this before that you know he was so easily influenced by the energy force in Day of the Dove. He was also the first to to succumb to the inner space in the Tholian web. I don't know. I feel kind of like you know Chekhov may not be like that strong, <laughs> you know, willed yeah. uh, for him to be affected so easily. But uh, that's a great point about Day of the Dove. My moment. Uh, for Chekhov, uh, I, I wanted us to steer away from The Way to Eden because yeah. I don't think it's a great episode. But for the first half of Spectre of the Gun, he was great. And again, it was him standing up to Sylvia, okay, and uh, which, which is a noble, you know, knight in shining armor yeah. moment. And then he gets shot, okay, and then he's gone for the rest of the episode. Right. But it was him getting shot that gave Spock to the epiphany that said, did not William Claiborne survive right. the gunfight at the OK Corral, which helped them figure out how to so look at these bullets Your as favorite Chekhov moment is him dying? Is that your, what you're saying? Uh, that my favorite moment was his sacrifice. Ah, okay. Because it was not only- It was a noble, a noble sacrifice, absolutely. Noble yeah. for, for Sylvia, and he saved the crew. Yeah. Okay, what about, what about Uhura? Uhura. It's the moment in Savage Curtain for me. Yep. It's when she talks about we don't fear words. Yeah, uh, that's a great that's a great moment. And the fact, which I didn't realize until you told me that that's her last episode of Star Trek, that's kind of cool. That's her last episode, and that's her her last like basically her last scene in Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, what about Scotty? I had a tougher time with. I Scotty. had a really tough time. Yeah, a really tough time. I and I've gone back and forth between two. One is the one we just talked about was him in the hallway with McCoy and Turnabout Intruder, mm-hmm. and the other one. And these are both not good episodes. The other one is in that which survived when he's in the Jeffrey's tube, and talking to Spock. And I, I, you know, I think I criticized that sequence throughout. But Scotty is really good and heroic. What, what did you come up with? Yeah, I, I had a harder time with Scotty because, like, when you look at season one with him saying, I'm not going to lower the screens in a taste of Armageddon. Yeah. You know, when you look at season two, Doomsday machine. And I mean, there's so many great, absolutely. You know, or Friday's child where he's like, ignore it, Lieutenant, you know, trouble with tribbles. Yeah. Oh, so many. So I had a tougher time. I actually also went with him, him having that conversation with McCoy in the hall about mutiny, but you break up a, a, a great point about that, which survives about him in the, the yeah. tube saying jettison me. Uh, that, that was a great moment. All right. What about uh, Mr. Sulu? Sulu again, tough one. Now I like that. He was part of the landing party in uh, that, which survives, but the moment when he's on the bridge with Chekhov in turnabout intruder, when he says, I'll fight him anyway in every way I can, referring to Kirk being taken over by Janice Lester. Same, same moment. I That was the moment where it really bummed me out. I was like, oh, where's this guy been? Yeah. Because the That Which Survives stuff isn't good. He, he's got a lot of screen time, mm-hmm. but it's not good. Where and, and well, it's so funny that we now have two moments from Turnabout Intruder that we've been talking about, but they're really good moments for that character. Yeah. Okay. What about McCoy? So, so this was tough for me. And it's and my guess is that you're going to have two of this, the, the the same ones, which is for the world is hollow and I've touched the sky. The scene with Natira where he talks about how lonely he's been and his disease and all that is really good. And all our yesterdays. 
absolutely. Yep. Got it right here. Just, you know, when he, when McCoy says to Spock, are you trying to kill me, Spock? And then, you know, Spock realizes I'm lost. I don't know who I am. And McCoy says, I'm going to go back there because I want that life. I think that's great. And absolutely, the scene between him and Natira, where, you know, confessing about his loneliness. It's a beautiful moment. You know, he got to kiss the girl. I thought it was great. All right. We're moving up here. What about Mr. Spock? This was really tough Mm -hmm. because he does have a lot of good moments. So some of the other ones were tough because there wasn't that much to talk about. This was tough because he has a lot of good ones. And and I came up with three. Uh, One of them is what we just talked about all our yesterdays, that whole scene, particularly the moment where he says, I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever did. Yep. That's great. Um, uh, Him with a very similar moment is in Day of the Dove where Scotty uses racial slurs on him and he's going to attack Scotty. And that scene on the bridge is super intense. Yep. And it's great to watch Demoy do it. But for me, I think the number one is the back and forth with the Romulan commander in the Enterprise incident. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Because you could sense that Spock is actually, de- like, you know, he's on a mission, okay, to use her. But you could see that he's falling for her. He's really developing feelings for her. Uh, everything about Spock in for without in all our yesterdays, everything about Spock in, in the Enterprise incident, but also bringing up another moment. I never thought I would bring up good moments from the Turnabout Intruder, but the moment where he tells Kirk, inhabited by Lester, uh, I will do everything in my power to stop you. It's good. It's a yep. good moment. Yep. Yes. We've reached the man himself, Captain Kirk. Okay, so Captain Kirk, I, I still kind of had a hard time with. I had a hard time, too. Because where's the risk is our business moment? Well, this is what's weird is Spock had a lot of good moments. I think what, what I re- realized is, like, man, one of the big problems with season three is not a lot of great Captain Kirk moments. I agree. Like, mm-hmm. we're, yeah, I, there's not that many. Like, where's, where's in every revolution is one man with a vision? Yeah. You know, where is the moment where he's trying to reason with the companion? You know, uh but I, I came up with a couple for Kirk. Uh, one is in the very first episode that was shot for season three, which is Spectre of the Gun. Because Spectre of the Gun, because of who, who, who wrote it and who directed it, you know, Gene Kuhn wrote it under the pseudonym Lee Cronin. It's Vincent Mac- McAvity who directed it, who did Balance of Terror. When the Earps, the Clant- uh, you know, are shooting the Clantons and the bullets are going right through them in that great moment where the bullets go through the fence, which I think is awesome, very stylized. And then Kirk goes, attacks Wyatt Earp, starts punching him, takes out his gun, goes to shoot him in the face, cocks the gun, and then you know, lets the gun go, throws it to the ground. And Spock raises the eyebrow. Kirk did what he did at the end of Arena when yeah. he says, no, I won't kill you. That's what he did, Spectre of the Gun. That was an absolute Kirk moment. Also, I love the moment at the end of Day of the Dove when he's sort of fighting with Kang. Mm-hmm. He goes, okay, all right, fine, go ahead. In the heart, in the head, I won't stay dateable. This will keep going, the good game of war, pawn against pawn. That was a great Kirk moment. So that's one that I have too, Day of the Dove. I also think that the uh, threat to destroy the Enterprise and let that be your last battlefield is a really, really well Oh my God, scene. that's awesome. Yeah, and he's great in that. But yeah, there's not like I go like okay, where's there? There's just not great. There's also not a ton of I'm the great strategist tactician who's come up with the great plan. There's not a lot of that either. Yeah, but you know? your point about let that be your last battlefield. 
That's a good one. When he says, what I love about that moment, when he says, I am the captain of the ship, it goes where I order it to go or I will order its destruction. Yeah. Right? I will destroy it. That moment. Yeah. Like he's, Beale says, you're bluffing. And Shatner is great. He goes, I will destroy it. And then just very calmly goes through the whole, the whole code, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's awesome. You're right. That is absolutely, positively uh, uh, a great moment. In fact, that is my number one moment when it comes to most thrilling moments of season three is the self-destruct sequence in Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. But what else is on your list for that? That, that one is one of them. I kind of thought about putting Day of the Dove in the last sequence, but actually then I took it out and went, I mean, because I went, is it really thrilling? And I kind of went, I mean, it's good. I think the Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is more. And I think that one of the ones that's maybe the closest to the build at the end of Doomsday Machine, and it's not nearly that good, but but closer is the end of Tholene Web. Absolutely. Uh, I have that down too. I also have the end of, of uh, all our yesterdays where, you know, Kirk is like, come on, let's go get through the portal. And Spock is like, I don't want to leave you. And you're just kind of like, the freaking star is yep. going to explode. Let's go. Um, I do have the final sword fight in Day of the Dove. Um, yeah, those are those are those are great moments. Uh, OK, what about the funniest moments? I really struggled. You know why? Why? I don't think season three is funny. I mean, like it's I, not. I'm trying to find there. I was trying. I mean, it's like there's so many small funny moments in season one and then in season two you have fully f- comedic episodes right season three is accidentally funny right and unintentionally so I, yeah I, I wrote down the way to eden because there are many things i find funny in that episode but they're not trying to be funny yeah what'd you come up with that that well that's that's a great point like in season two you had i mud trouble with triples piece of the action yeah. intentionally funny episodes uh, and then you had moments like uh, like in the Changeling, you know, from mm-hmm. season two, where where Spock says, "What a what a fascinating display of logic." Kirk says, "You didn't think I had it in me, yeah. did you, Spock?" And Kirk goes, and Spock goes, "No, sir." <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. There's none of that really uh, in in season three. The the funny moments are the in, unintentionally funny moments, like brain, brain, what is brain? Yes, you know, uh, that's unintentionally funny. Uh, at the end of Turnabout Intruder, uh, literally the last act when. Kirk with Lester is is losing her grip on the on the trans uh, transformation, yeah. oh. and he's like you know rolling against the bulkhead. I went, oh, yep. okay, time for this show to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about the most moving moments? Well, there was one moment during our conversation, during one particular episode, where I I did kind of lose it, and that was the end of the empath, and that was the realization. And that you brought up that the Pearl of Great Price wasn't Jem. The Pearl of Great Price was the friendship right. between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy for inspiring Jem to show empathy and compassion. Yeah. That's number one for sure. To me, it's there are two parallel moments, and that is the death of Miramani mm-hmm. and saying goodbye to Zarabeth. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I got here. Great yeah. Pearl of Great Price. Miramani dies in Kirk's arms in Paradise Syndrome. Uh, and, uh, uh, Spock leaving Zarabeth in all our yesterdays. And also, uh, not as much as those, but I found I found Miranda Jones's goodbye to Spock at mm. the end of Is There in Truth No Beauty yeah. to be quite moving. Yeah. And just the way that she realized 
she was wrong, but she like found new zest for life in the realization uh, of what happened when she saved Spock. And she, she says, peace and long life. And he says, live long and prosper. And then Kirk says, peace. And George Dunning's score for that episode yeah. was really, really good. So that, that kind of gets to me a little bit. Yeah. Um, what were some of the themes that you think were ex- really explored in season three? As I mentioned before, season three is really the culmination of, of so much of what we'd seen throughout these three seasons. And I'm saying that because looking at the show as an overreaching arc, looking at the show as a serialized show, it works. So when you get to moments of friendship and sacrifice mm. in the Tholian web, in all our yesterdays, empath. in the empath, yeah. particularly the empath, those themes resonate very, very strong and much stronger than if we had seen them in the first season. A hundred percent. Well, and I, I think that's, you, what you said is that exactly true. It's because we've built up the time with those characters. And so now when they're choosing to make those sacrifices to each other, it hits really, really hard. Like, like for example, like even at the end of our yesterdays, when Spock and McCoy finally come back through the portal, okay? And then Mr. Ataz, you know, switches the disc and he runs through right. and Kirk says, Kirk walks over to Spock and McCoy and he says, he had his escape plan. I'm glad he made it. Right. As he's saying that, what does he do? I don't remember. He puts his arms around Spock and McCoy. Wow. Has he ever done that? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. In fact, that's the thumbnail that I used for the YouTube version of this episode mm. of this season three wrap up. Because the like it's the only time you see Kirk basically out of showing friendship, not as not as, you know, colleagues and and uh, you know fellow soldiers in the Federation, whatever, he puts his arms around Kirk and Spock. He says, I'm glad he made it. He's like, thank God you guys are back. It's a, such a subtle moment, but I just, it's, it, it, again, the culmination of everything we've been through with these guys. I think, I think one of the themes that continues really in the third season is just non-violently resolving conflicts. It's mm. in Day of the Dove, it's Spectre of the Gun, it's let that. It's what we want to have happen or are striving to have happen and let that be your last battlefield. And it is also what sort of fails in a bunch of episodes but don't really work, like Requiem for Methuselah and you know other episodes where it's like, where is Kirk trying to work this out in a nice way? And mm. it just doesn't really exist. Well, well, the theme that you're referring to is the theme of peace. Yeah. Because Kirk not shooting Wyatt Earp in the face. Right. And he, he says he says to the the, the Melkotian, we fight only when there's no choice. Right. I I'm preaching the words of peaceful contact. We want you to join us. You know what does he do at the end of the day of the dove? Get off my ship. Like right. peace. You know his the the peace with the with Kang and the Klingons. Uh, the ending of the Savage Curtain. Okay. He says we came in peace. And Yarnick says and you may go in peace. The last word that Kirk says to Miranda before she beams out in Is There in Truth No Beauty, he looks at her and he says, peace. Yeah. Oh, nice. The other one that occurred to me is the is there are a bunch of times in the episode where our characters are offered different lives that they could leave. Mm. Kirk with Miramani is offered a different life that he could leave. McCoy and In the World is Hollow is offered a different life. Spock and All Our Yesterdays. Even Chekhov in like The Way to Eden is sort of offered, here's a different life. Yeah. And in all of these cases, they all reject them, you know? Well, I don't think Kirk re- rejects Miramani, 
because she dies right. and he gets his memory back. But I think in the other ones, it's like, no, my duty says I have to have a life over here. Well, like you pointed out before, when we were doing our conversation on Aura yesterday's with Adam Nimoy, you said, which character is the most lonely? And mm. we all had different answers. Yeah, yeah. So the loneliness is also a very subtle theme of season three, because we see in Paradise Syndrome that Kirk had been lonely. And certainly we see it again when we get to now that episode that I like a lot, but Requiem for Methuselah, you know, we see that Spock has been lonely. He says he has been lonely in, uh, in, in all our yesterdays. Uh, and then McCoy, you know, talking to yeah. Natira. So I think loneliness is actually a pretty common thing yeah, in season that's three. That's a great, great point. So, Scott. Yes. What episode do you think applied most clearly to the time that it was made in? And which episodes do you think we could learn the most from today? Well, I think without question, the episode that very much applied to the times of when the episode was made was the Enterprise incident. Mm. Because oh. it was the Pueblo incident. Right. I mean, that was a, that was a Star Trek's ripped from the headlines episode. Yeah. But in terms of the episode that resonated then and resonated now especially over the last few years, it's got to be let that be your last Battlefield. Yeah, for me, it's Battlefield and it's Day of the Dove. Mm -hmm. Those are the two that are like just could be, you know, they could be ripped out of our headlines today. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, which episode, okay, this is, this is the question I've been wanting to ask. Which episode or episodes went up in your estimation after our rewatch and conversation? So the first one is a bit of a maybe a joke, which is I think the one I can enjoy most campily is the way to eat. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Is that I'm not? It's not good, but I can enjoy it on sort of a camp level. Um, and the other one is uh, all our yesterdays because I think the not the whole episode, but the Spock and McCoy scenes. I think you put up up against the best of Star Trek. Completely agree with that. Uh, all our yesterdays went up in my estimation just because. To be able to talk about it with you and Adam Nimoy, uh, just I've always loved it. it. It just made me love it more. But in terms of episodes that were improved on the rewatch, I would say absolutely The Way to Eden. Like I appreciate it for what it is. It knew what it was, right. and it succeeded on those merits. It wasn't like like Mark of Gideon where they wanted to do something and failed miserably at it. Yeah. But also, I have a whole lot of love for Turnabout Intruder now. It is still dated, in my opinion, very, very much so, for obvious reasons. But there are a lot of good things about that episode. The scenes that are good are genuinely good. The scenes that are good are really good, and there are things about the episode that were, you would swear, were written in mind, knowing that this was going to be the last episode. But without question, I think the one that really went way up in my book was The Empath. For again, for the uh, for the Pearl of Great Price moment. Opposite question then: What episode went down the most in your estimation from our? Uh, I, I said it once. I'll say it again: The Mark of Gideon, Requiem for Methuselah, Whom Gods Destroy. Those were always weak episodes to me, and and doing a deep dive conversation on them just made me realize how subpar they actually are, and I like them even less than I did before. So. I knew that I hated and the children shall lead. And so I think I was kind of armored. 
The ones that went down the most, Saint Mark of Gideon, and the other one, Plato's stepchildren. I just, I loved our conversation. I that that is such a good example of a bad episode leading to a great conversation. But I I was in pain watching Plato's stepchildren. Yeah, and I absolutely hate Mark of Gideon top to bottom. It, but this, by the way, is a tough was a tough one because the ones you mentioned, Methuselah, whom gods destroy. I mean, they're just all terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really just like you really see how Plato's stepchildren is the turning point. You know, like after that, like at least Roddenberry was kind of kind of involved with assigning stories to writers in the beginning of the third season, even though he wasn't like actually in the office. But by the end of the third season, he he really kind of did check out, even though he wrote the stories for Turnabout Intruder and the Savage Curtain. Um, but were there any episodes that you rewatched after no. our conversation? No. Nah, me neither. No. <laughs> you didn't rewatch any of them? Uh, I rewatched R yesterday's because I knew that the next episode we were doing was going to be the last original series episode. And I just wanted to rewatch the last great episode of Star Trek one final time before we did that deep dive on Turnabout Intruder. It's funny for me, this and the cinephiles as well. There's is so much effort to make the episode, and I dig so deep into the movie or the TV show. It's like it's kind of purged for me. I think there's only one or two episodes of The Cinephiles in six years, seven years almost, that I have rewatched the movie since doing the episode. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I barely have. Like, we're redoing, we did It's a Wonderful Life as our holiday movie years ago, and we're redoing it. So I have, because when we first did it, it was an hour and 14 minute episode for that film. Now we're doing two parts. It's probably going to be four hours. Oh, wow. You know, so so like I, I've rewatched that. But in general, there's like this sort of weird like, okay, I've closed the chapter on that thing. I am certain at some point, I haven't, I haven't rewatched a single episode of Star Trek since we started doing this. Wow. Mm. So I am certain at some point I will again. But we also live in peak TV time. There are so much, so much great television I have not watched that I have not turned on Star Trek. Uh, listen, I got to be honest with you. All the, all the newer Trek shows... I mean, I love Strange New Worlds and I love Lower Decks. Yeah, but I have not watched all the episodes of Prodigy yet. I haven't uh, watched Prodigy I, at all. I yeah, I've watched all of Discovery, which is really not good. Yeah, it's not good. It looks amazing. Yeah, unbelievably talented people are working on that show in right. every capacity, except the show's not good. Yeah, the it's stories. Not, I, the story. I, I try good. every yeah. year. I go, maybe this will be the year, and just uh, uh-uh, yeah. it's not happening. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so in general, Steve. Despite all of the problems that season three had, what do you think that season three got right about Star Trek? I like that season three, maybe even more than season one, two, went after some social issues like Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, like Day of the Dove, a little bit in Cloudminders and some other episodes. I like that they had much stronger female characters. Mm. I think that that really worked well. I think episodes like Savage Curtain isn't a particularly good episode, but the ideals expressed in it, I like. And so those are some of the things I thought it thought, thought it did well in season three. Uh, on top of all of that, because I completely agree, what I think season three really got right was the friendship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah. And again, yeah. just the fact that, that season three was the culmination of everything that came before it. And those moments were so fully realized and effective just goes to show that despite the flaws, despite the fact that you had a producer who may not have really gotten Star Trek, certainly 
Shatner and Nimoy and D. Kelly knew their characters well enough to know that when all else fails, they know their characters and they know the relationships between them. And the proof is in so many of these great episodes we already talked about. Yep. What did it get wrong? What did it get wrong? Well, unfortunately, it got it got the last episode wrong. Yeah. Because I just felt like for a show that was so progressive and forward thinking to have dialogue like what Kirk possessed by Janice Lester says about women not being able to command starships. Uh, that, that hurts to watch every time, even though I have to say that since we recorded that episode, I kind of in my head can reasoned that it had less to do with the fact that that women were not able to command starships and more to do with the fact that Janice Lester was just cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Right. Right. You know, and that, and that, that, her blanket statement about women not being able to command a starship was just bitterness because she was not able to command a starship. Yeah. I think that episode, if it had really, if they really leaned into that, I think that could have been a good episode because we know that some of the other elements of the episode were good. It's just that that's not really where they were heading. For me, the problems with season three, it's all about the scripts. Mm-hmm. It's just all scripts. Yeah. And you look at episodes, like you look at an episode like Mirror, Mirror, which is so tight. It's every single word, every single moment is there for a reason. It's all there building tension. All the characters are there. An episode like Balance of Terror, same thing. Everything is there for a reason. And it's just so lazy yeah. in season three where there's so much like, why is this character doing this? And they're, Or people acting out of character. All three of them in Requiem for Methuselah, totally acting out of character. Spock in That Which Survives totally acting out of character and just like the the hard work it takes to make a really tight script of star trek just wasn't happening yeah you know i completely agree but having said all that if you're going to pick out your single favorite episodes of season three like your number one faves maybe you have a couple what are they it's tough it's tough decision i would say the three top ones for me probably are let that be your last battlefield, except for all of the stretching that happens, particularly with them running through the corridors yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, where it just sort of is. But I really do like that. And I, and I find so much meaning and things to discuss in that episode. Yep. Day of the Dove is great, I think, top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really good episode. And even though there's some parts of it that don't quite work, I really like the Enterprise incident. Yep. Uh, those are all great. I have day, my top five ranked. Yes. For the original series, season three, number one is Day of the Dove. Number two is All Our Yesterdays. And by the way, after all that buildup, because I brought up All Our Yesterdays in prior episodes, I'm just relieved that you actually liked it. I do like it. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, Is There In Truth No Beauty? Mm. I think it's just a, like, it's a beautiful episode. It's right there in the title. The Tholian Web. It's a really good one. Really, really good one. And number five is Spectre of the Gun. I think Spectre of the Gun is a fascinating episode, and I love the design elements of it. That's yep. my favorite thing about it. Sure. I don't know. I w- wouldn't put it as one of my my favorites, but I do really, really like it. I like when Star Trek goes in those directions. Yeah, I just felt like Spectre of the Gun was a holdover from season two. It really felt like yeah. a season two episode to me. We've reached our final thoughts, not only, I think, on season three, but on the original series. <sighs> yes, we have. And I just have to say that after spending a lifetime observing, dissecting, absorbing, 
watching over and over and over again and doing something I've never done before, which was this deep dive through the series in production order. I just did not think it was possible for me to love Star Trek any more than I ever did, but I do. I love Star Trek even more. Uh, I love these characters even more. I appreciate Star Trek so much better in the historical context in which it was produced, the obstacles that they had to overcome, and yet they still produced this landmark show that, that going episode by episode, Steve, scene by scene, moment by moment, and talking through every single moment, the fact that the original series holds up under that kind of scrutiny after 55 plus years is a testament to how great it was and it is. And that is why the original Star Trek is still the greatest Star Trek series of them all. Well, you're not going to get any argument with me on your last point. I, here's the thing I was thinking about mm. is, you know, the, you know, people talk about conditional love versus unconditional love. And most people, the, I think people favor unconditional love. Like I want to be loved unconditionally. Right, right. And mostly I would say my love for Star Trek was, was unconditional. I just, the love was deep because it comes from my childhood. It's very formative for me as we discussed many, many times on the show. And what changed this time, I think, is because we examined it in such minute detail, is I now have the conditions. Is that is that because I actually think as much as unconditional love is great, it's actually not a compliment. To say you love someone unconditionally is saying that you love them in spite of their flaws, which you don't really care about, and despite whether or not they have any positive qualities. If you say, here's why I love you, here are the technical specs of why I love you, that's conditional love. And that is what I learned is that by examining these shows in this detail is that I went, no, this is great television. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can prove it. It's like when the episodes are great, I remember I, remember I texted you. I think it was after Balance of Terror. And I just was like, that is one of the greatest hours of television. Yeah, I remember that text. Of all time. Yep. And it's mm -hmm. just, and it's like so good top to bottom. Every character moment, every bit of performance, everywhere they put the camera, filmmaking, acting, writing, that's just so great. And so it is really interesting too, the contrast between when that and what we saw a lot in the third season when... It's not great. Mm. You know, the, all those details aren't there. And so what I think where you came to love Star Trek even more, I came to admire Star Trek even more. I see. You know, yeah, yeah. And, that, and, 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 and of course, I love it, too. I'm not saying that I don't. And I know that you admire it as well. But like it really I went, no, no, this isn't just seven year old Steve who loved Happy Days and loved the, the Dukes of Hazard and loved a whole bunch of terrible Superman comic books and loved Star Trek. Steve was right. Seven-year-old Steve was absolutely right. This is great, great television, and I was thrilled to go through it the way we have over the last couple of years. Yeah, my love for Star Trek is not unconditional because when Star Trek is great, I love it. When Star Trek is good or even okay, I love it. When Star Trek is bad, I don't love it, and yep. I don't watch it. Yep. And that applies to, you know, maybe some episodes from the later shows. Yep. But... For the original series, with the exception of maybe like three or four episodes, five mm -hmm. tops, the ratio of episodes that are good, great, or even just okay to the bad ones 
is really high. Is really really high. And and look, I I like I said, I love it even more than I ever did. And uh, I'm proud that everyone who has found us along the way or started listening to Enterprise Incidents from the very first episode, that when the Enterprisers respond that we help them see Star Trek in a new light, that, that you know, so many times people have said, like, I thought I knew everything about the original series, but after listening to Enterprise Incidents, I realized I was wrong. These guys know their stuff. Um, it, it means a lot to be able to get that kind of uh, validation from lifelong fans that we gave them something new about Star Trek and made them appreciate it in a whole new way. Absolutely. It, it has been so, and it's funny because having done a movie podcast for many years before doing the Star Trek podcast, I can tell you scientifically Star Trek fans are different. The, the passion, the intensity, the knowledge is off the charts because the other thing that happened, even though of course I'm learning from you every week when we record the show, Almost every week in comments, I learned something else I didn't know about Star Trek because these people are passionately committed in just the same way you and I are, and that's been really fun. Star Trek fans, the Trekkies, the Trekkers, call them what you will. Enterprisers. The Enterprisers, our fans for Enterprise Incidents, there is nothing like them. They are the best fans in the galaxy. They yep. really are. I am proud to be an Enterpriser. I am proud to be a Trekkie. I am proud to be a Trekker. Yep. And and as I've said many times, Steve, thank you for this incredible, incredible journey. And on the next episode of Enterprise Incidents, we're going to do something really special because not only are Steve and I going to count down our favorite episodes, our top 10 favorite episodes. Which, which by the way, in my life, I have never come up with. I bet you have. I actually never sat down and actually never listed my top yeah. 10. I don't know what they all are. I think I know what, I think everyone knows what number, my number one is. Yes, but you've said it many times. And, yes. and I think I know what my, I know what my top three probably are for sure. But I don't know about the next seven. That's going to be hard. But what we're going to do is really special because when we record this next episode, we're going to do it live on our YouTube page, which is Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. So make sure, you know, we will announce on our Facebook page, Enterprise Incidents, the date and time that- And on Twitter. And on Twitter. Yeah. And, you know, everywhere that, you know, our social media, the date and time that we are going to be uh, uh, recording- our live Enterprise Incident special, where you can comment and weigh in and join us and be a part of the conversation as well. So I hope you'll join us. In the meantime, Steve, do your spiel. <laughs> the spiel is Facebook. Look for Enterprise Incidents. Enter Incidents on Twitter. Enterprise Incidents on Instagram. We got a huge slew of fantastic reviews recently. Please keep them coming. We just went over 300 reviews. I bet if every single person listening right now did a review, we would get, well, actually, we get a, a couple thousand probably. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that's what we would like to have happen. And of course, if you want to support the show, you can do it by looking at the show notes. Right there is a link to Anchor where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, a month as much as $9.99 a month, which we really do appreciate. It helps the show go keep going. And if you want to reach me, you could do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. On my other podcast, The Cinephiles, as I just mentioned, we are doing It's a Wonderful Life, parts one and two. One is already out there, and two will be out there next week. It is my favorite holiday movie of all time. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It makes me cry a lot. It's a great movie. It's very grown up. It is It is a very 
serious. It's dark. Very dark. You know, it's like people get the impression, it's an awful life. It's a family movie. Not really. Not really. I mean, I watched it when I was a kid. I showed it to my kid when I was a kid, but it it gets some, some rough places. I don't know. You're contemplating suicide. That's pretty rough. Yeah. But I digress. But make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MovieMance. And make sure you join us for our special live episode of Enterprise Incidents. Again, head to our Facebook page. We'll make the announcement there. We'll make it on Twitter. And as always, thank you for your support of Enterprise Incidents. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Make sure you share Enterprise Incidents on your social media pages because it is never too late to discover enterprise incidents. It is never too late to start from the beginning or even start from the beginning again, just like the original series holds up under repeat of viewings. We hope that enterprise incidents holds up under repeat of viewings. So join us next time. And until the next episode, you know, keep going boldly.